our series this morning on having the fruitful life now. Uh, I've been very excited about uh, doing this series of lessons. And last year at the end of 2006, we talked about how to have the good life now. And we looked at the Proverbs and what God has asked of us so that we can have a fulfilling life while on the earth now, but also a pleasing life to God uh, so that we can be with him in the end. And this is going to be an extension of that, and we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit in this series. Uh, But before we can do that, I think it's important uh, to consider how we can work on being like God. And I think that's an important foundational step uh, as we begin to consider how we can be people who are bearing fruit that are useful uh, in God's service. Just to show you a couple of passages that show uh, that you and I are commanded to be fruitful. Romans 7 and verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to, to another, to him who raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And so here's a picture of we're walking in newness of life. God has given us this great blessing of, of eternal life and a relationship with God. And we are called upon to be bearing fruit then. We are to be called upon as useful servants to God. Similarly, Colossians 1.9, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And so here again, another picture as as Paul is praying for uh, the saints in Colossae, that uh, they would have knowledge and wisdom and understanding to be able to walk worthy and bear fruit. It's not enough in our Christian life to make our declaration to God that we believe that he is the Son of God and we then dedicate ourselves to turn away from evil and sin, and we are immersed in water to wash our sins away. But that's not the end point. That notice that the Scriptures point out a need to be fruitful disciples. And so that is what we are going to look at, is how can we be fruitful? What is God looking for in our lives, in our character, and in our actions, so that we can still be found pleasing and be useful servants to God? One passage that I think is useful to consider is that fruitfulness centers around being in the image of God. If we are going to undertake this study of lessons of how we can be better servants, more fruitful, pleasing to God, bearing fruit that proves that we are abiding in Christ, uh, then the first step that we are going to need to take is a recognition that you and I are commanded to look like God in our character. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is one the passage that has always fascinated to me. is We all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And here's a, a, a double picture. First, we are this mirror. We are this reflection of God's glory. Our life should look like God. People should see us and see God's glory reflected in our lives. And and that's a a powerful image to help us understand and see what God is looking for is that our character, our uh, actions, our attitudes are all needing to be transformed so that we are in the same image as God. That it's no longer us, our desires, our character and attitudes. 
We're going to look like God. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is about, is pointing out, well, here are the characteristics of God that you and I are to adapt into our lives and become like. And so some of the basic principles this morning I want to look at in how you and I can begin to adopt God's character, but how we can grab these attributes and these character traits and become like them. The, the first thing is that we need to consider our motivation. I always like doing these foundational lessons because you know, we can talk about all the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, you know, gentleness, it doesn't go through all that. But it all begins with, well, do we want to do this? Do we want to be in the image of God? Are you and I concerned about wanting to be pleasing in the sight of God? And so often in our life, we are very self-centered, motivated type people. Uh, life is all about self. And, uh, you know, we thought it was getting bad and it just seems to only be getting worse that uh, we are just inundated with a message that says that life is all about me. And we teach our children that the world revolves around them, and then they grow up as adults, and they still think that the world revolves around them. And, and that's just kind of where our society is at, is that we often have our decisions and our actions are all motivated by selfish interests. We're, we're very self-centered people. And very rare do we perform the habit of what God talks about in needing to have a motivation that is concerned first about God, God-centered decisions, that I'm going to be concerned primarily about what God wants me to do and not about my desires. One of the, my favorite examples of that is, is Joseph. Joseph is such a fascinating character. You want to talk about down on your luck. You want to talk about going through some bad stuff. You know, your, your, your brothers hate you so much they're going to kill you. Until one of them gets a bright enough idea that said it would be more profitable to sell you than to kill you. And so they sell you off into slavery. You work real hard as a slave only to be falsely accused of, of uh, sexual morality and rape. To get thrown into prison for years and years. This is a very tough luck story about Joseph. And Joseph's life is so interesting. While a slave, he is so useful, so godly, so... Amazing in his character and integrity that the man that is his master, Potiphar, sets him in charge over everything in the house. You know, this is a foreigner. This is an outsider. And he, he's, he's in charge over the whole household. And one day, Potiphar's wife, while Potiphar's away, says, well, let's, let's come on back here to the bedroom. Let's, let's have sexual relations. Nobody knows the better. Jo Joseph's response is interesting, especially for a, for a young man. When he says, uh, no one in this house is greater than I am, he is withheld, speaking of Potiphar, he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? The reason why I find that, that answer so interesting was because you, you don't have Joseph's response of, oh, that sounds real good, you know? <laughs> Uh, you can see that in a typical young man in our society today. Sexual relations, no one will know. Great. It, it, Joseph isn't thinking about self here. And notice he isn't only guxter about self. He isn't like, well, you know, that'd be a real bad thing against old Potiphar. Potiphar's been such a good guy. He's been so nice to me. He's treated me so well. He's put everything over that. No. Notice where the whole frame of reference is about God. 
God has done so much for me that He's placed me in this situation that nothing is is greater than me except for except for you. I, I have control over this whole house. How could I do such an evil thing against God? There is a concern about my life decisions and how they affect God. And so often our life decisions and our motivation is only about self. How does it affect me? We've gotten so bad in our society and so uh, awful in our character that we don't even care about other people and how it affects them. I mean, at the very base, can we at least care about how it affects somebody else? Can we at least care about, okay, well, you know, that'd be bad for Potiphar. You know, that, if we're not going to care about God, can we at least care more than about ourselves? There's such an awful state of selfishness today. That, that is all we think about. It is time to move our motivation beyond self and realize our greater motivation is God. What does God want me to do in this scenario? How could I commit this sin? Look at what that's going to do against God. I'm in such a great circumstance. God has taken care of me up to this point. Why would I want to violate that relationship that I have with God? And that's Joseph's response. And I don't know that that's a natural response that we all have as Christians. is to say, you know, when I think about a decision as a temptation confronts me or I'm trying to decide what to do in my life, certain circumstances arise... It was the first thing that you and I ask is, well, how would that affect God? Not likely. And if you're like me, not likely. Not likely. We just typically don't do that. We calculate everything else first. We calculate how is that going to be comfortable for me? Is it convenient for me? Now, how will that affect my wallet? You know, at what time? You know, it's just it's all about us. And so if we're going to take a road of fruitfulness, we're going to talk about living a fruitful life now and being pleasing to God, the first thing we're going to have to do is recognize we're going to have to make decisions on a godly basis. That our considerations have to be God-centered. And any wonder why our society is degenerating is because we've removed that consideration from the human consciousness. We just don't care about what other people think. We don't care about what God thinks. It's all about us. And that's a, that's a terrible situation. I mean, the more we get into that, we'll just realize one day our society will figure out, well, if I feel like killing you, what's the big deal? If we have no greater good, if there is no moral standard, if there is no God, well, if it's all about me, well, I feel like doing whatever I want to do. You and I have to go beyond that and recognize God has called us to a greater standard and beginning with the motivation of thinking, what does God want me to do? These decisions that I make on the job, at home, at school, with my family, I have to look first, what is the consideration with God? And not be self-centered first. Second is that it's interesting that fruitfulness demands a personal responsibility. In those passages, and we'll look at a few more in just a minute, I want you to consider that there is a calling upon ourselves to transform ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 he talked about that we are being in the image of God, that we are transformed in the likeness of God. That there is a responsibility on our part to mold ourselves to be more like God. And I don't know, maybe we think that we'll come up out of the waters of baptism and we'll just come out of a prayer one day and we'll just suddenly be more God-like. It's not going to land on us. It doesn't happen all by itself. And yeah, we would love to be these wonderful people who are moral and fruitful and good, but we don't want to lift a finger to do anything about it. And notice the passages that tell us there is work involved. 
Paul's a great one. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already reached the goal or am fully mature. I, I always read that and I just scream. Paul, you're not mature and have reached the goal. If anybody has reached the goal, I'm Paul, please, you've, you've done very well. Uh, he has it, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Here's a picture of every effort. I'm deciding, that's what Paul is saying, I haven't reached maturity, I haven't got to the end goal yet of being in the image of God. I'm making every effort. I'm reaching forward. Two verses later, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul instructed Timothy, train yourself in righteousness. In other words, exercise yourself in righteousness. Now, if you're like me, you hate exercise. You don't want to exercise. Exercise is a real yucky thing. You feel good at the end, but in the process, it's awful. And we talk ourselves out of having to do things like that. Training, discipline, exercise, those are all bywords in our society today. And notice the picture, though. There's work. You want to be godly. You want to be like God, fruitful in the image of God. It's going to take some effort. And there's a personal responsibility to train ourselves. Philippians 2 Verse 12, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I know we don't like work. (laughs) Work. Work. We're going to have to do something. There's effort involved. Work means effort and responsibility. There are things on our part that God has called us to do. You and I are not bystanders in this story. And that's so often what's painted is, well, we're just a product of our environment. We're just a product of our genetics. We can't control anything about ourselves. We just are the way we are. And so we're just going to have to deal with each other. I have a new appreciation for genetics like I've never had before. And I certainly with three kids have appreciated that. They don't come out blank clay slates. They've kind of already got some programming involved that you're going to have to rework and rewire with them. I get that now. We have to mold ourselves, though. That's that's the picture. While we might have certain tendencies, certain uh, possibilities within us and weaknesses and and these kinds of things that we say, all right, well, you know, you have no idea what what my home life was like. I was in this terrible environment, you know, and you have no idea. Okay, you know, know, my father screamed his head off all the time. That's why I'm so angry. Okay, I I get all the environmental stuff, and we can find out we're all genetically disposed to whatever else. God has placed personal responsibility on us. Even with all of those obstacles... Even though we might have some sort of genetic foo-faw within us, and we might even have this, all these environmental considerations that you know our parents are just dreadful and just beat us until blood streaked off the walls and all that stuff that we can come up with, it still comes down to it's your life. What are you going to do with it? You stand personally responsible before God. And it might be a lot harder for you to control your emotions because your father screamed his head off all the time and things like that. that there's no doubt about that. You might have greater obstacles than other people, but the challenge is still the same that you and I have to change ourselves. And that's what the scriptures are calling for. And there's no excuses and there's no exclusions that are given in these passages to say, well, you know, it's okay to have outbursts of wrath if, you know, you've got a long lineage of dads who were that way. You know, your father was a jerk and so you can be a jerk too. No. There's just no exclusion there. 
There's no picture that says, all right, well, I can get away with this because, well, you know, my dad was a stinking liar, so so am I, you know. You and I have a a choice. And so the scriptures are calling for personal responsibility. I am sympathetic to your background. If you know my background, you're probably sympathetic to some of mine as well. But we have a choice. And so we have to press on. I think that's what Paul's saying. I've got to press on. I've got to move on toward the goal. It's time to attain these goals and be fruitful as God wants us to be. One of the important pictures that I believe God gives us in trying to be like God of how we can adopt these characteristics is what I'm going to call for you a, a put-off, put-on principle. I mean, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about because I'm really innovative with that stuff. The scriptures tell us you have to put things off and put things on. And that should not be all that shocking, and yet that's sometimes, I think, a difficulty that we come across. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want you to see in Paul's command there are two actions that are going on. There is first the step step that your former way of life, put it away, put it off. The old self, That is set aside. Who you are, all those tendencies and weaknesses, and your parents did this, and so this makes me that, and I've got all these genetic defects, and so that makes me this way, you have to put it all off. That's what he just Your old self, who you are, all of those characteristics, all those personality flaws or tics or whatever, you have to set all those aside. And what do you put on? A new, put made new in the attitude of your mind. There's a renewal process that's going to take place. A new self is going to be brought about. And so there's going to be a decision made. Okay, I can't be like that anymore. I can't act like that. I can't excuse myself for those things anymore. It's time to change my mind. Have a new attitude of the mind. To put on a new self. I think there are probably two reasons why we have such a hard time with adopting God's character, putting away sin. And I think it revolves around this principle that we typically do one or the other and not both. Either we try to add these characteristics of God, we try to add these these fruitful pictures, that we try to become in that image, but we don't stop doing the things in our life that we should be doing. We try to add godliness and gentleness and joy and peace and love but we haven't put away any of the old stuff. And we can't figure out why our life doesn't click with God. Well, it's because you haven't put anything away. You haven't put off the former self. You haven't purged your life of all that mess. Pretty hard to be gentle, as the Scriptures speak of, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Pretty hard to do that if all your life you haven't been gentle toward people, you've been pretty ruthless, and now you're going to suddenly just start being gentle? You're going to have to work on the ending, the ruthlessness. You're going to have to put off some of that stuff before you're going to be able to get anywhere with gentleness. You don't see that with these, with these pictures. And so often, 
we fail in our efforts to be like God and to be pleasing to God because we come and we'll hear lessons about how I need to do this and I need to do that, but we don't stop the stuff that we need to stop. We just try to add one more, well, I need to love my brother better. Well, that means you're going to have to stop doing some ugly stuff. That means you're going to have to stop lying, stop cheating, stop being malicious, stop gossiping, stop slandering. You're going to have to stop some things before you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And we wonder why we're failing, because we haven't stopped. And so think about when we talk about these, these pictures of fruitfulness that God has given us of trying to be in the image of Christ, there is no way that we are going to reach that goal and press toward that goal until we first identify, here's all the things I have to stop. These are the things in my life that are not part of the fruit of the Spirit. These attitudes, these actions, these characteristics, these are the things that are preventing me from being in a good relationship with God. These are the things that are preventing me from being fruitful in God's service. And so I have to stop and identify, well, what are those things? And, you know, you, you can pull out all your genetic and environmental stuff there. That's where all that stuff applies. All I know is anger. And so that's what, okay, that's the, you've got to stop that. That's the thing you're going to have to start working on. You're not going to love your brother very well if you've just got an angry outburst and flare. It's not going to fly. You've got to look at, okay. You know, you weren't taught very well. <laughs> Your parents didn't do best by you. I understand that. You can say, you know, it's, you know you're the genetic afterthought, the black sheep. You, you, okay, I get that. So what are you going to stop? Here's the things that you need to sit down and say, okay, these are the things that are wrong. By the same token, sometimes we try to do the putting off, but we never put anything on. <laughs> And you've probably experienced that. That we will work really hard and, okay, I'm not going to have that, that anger anymore. I'm going to get rid of those outbursts of wrath. I'm going to put those things aside. But we never then replace it with good things. And I think that's one of the other major failures that we experience in our efforts to try to be like God, but we sin, is that we, okay, I'm going to stop cold turkey and not do that anymore. That's good. But what are you going to replace it with? When you have a void in your life from things you used to do, it's so easy to fall right back into that. You know, it's called habits. You, you don't think about it. You just kind of do them. They're just secondhand nature to you. And so if you don't replace the activity, it's not going to, to fix itself. You know? I'll go and use the illustration I sit there and you have to understand what goes on in the silence. There's 15 wheels and 10 voices talking to me and I was trying to decide what to do. That's, that's, there's, there's a huge problem in our society today. One of the greatest sins that, that exists right now is sexual morality. Huge, huge problem. Just, just huge. We've talked about that many times. We've just seen that on, on every front. One of the reasons that I think Christians find difficulty in overcoming is because there's not a replacement. We'll sit there and say, okay, i got to stop this. Whatever it is, whatever part of it is, if it's from uh, affairs, if it's from the computer, if it's from whatever, so, so we will go home and we'll feel the guilt. Okay, i got to stop. And so what do we do? We just try to sit there quietly and stop and you know, try to mentally get ourselves there. It's not going to work. 
you have to replace that time with something else. If you sit there and think about how this is what you used to do, and you're thinking about this sin, you're going to fall back into the sin. There has to be a replacement. You have to involve yourself in something good. That's what that principle that Paul was giving in Ephesians is about. Put off the old self, but now do something good and wholesome and righteous in its place. If you don't fill that time, you're going to go right back to it. If you always went out with your buddies doing bad things at 9 o'clock on Monday, well, you can't sit at home all by yourself on 9 o'clock on Monday thinking about how your buddies are all doing something and you're not doing it. That's not going to work. You're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to get yourself doing something righteous on Monday at 9 o'clock so you won't think about what they're doing. Put off, put on. That's the idea. And so often we try to work so hard to put off but then never add righteous characteristics. We never put in something good there. If that's a t- you have a certain time of day where you've got a problem, then talk to somebody like another Christian. Go do something good for somebody else instead. Go send somebody a card. Go visit somebody else. Go talk to people that you need to talk to that will help you. We're not doing this all by ourselves. Sometimes we wonder, why in the world do we have to come here all the time? Well, so we can help each other out in the putting on principle. You've got to work really hard with yourself and say, all right, here's the things I've got to work on. And then you can call somebody and say, all right, I need your help right now. I need, to, need some righteousness right now. So we're putting on and we're putting off. And so both angles, I think, are very important in this adopting God's character. Really think about, okay, here's the things I need to stop. Have a game plan of, okay, I'm going to take those things out of my life. And then what am I going to do to replace them? I will not be successful in my efforts to be godlike and to be godly if I'm only trying to add righteous characteristics without removing the bad, if I'm only trying to remove the bad and not adding the righteous. I need both to find success. Finally, I think it's interesting the, picture, the, the pictures of the scriptures talk about that this is going to be a balanced effort. As we go through the fruit of the Spirit, I have to recognize that we need all of these characteristics that we're going to read about. And when we read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Sometimes we can look at the list and go, all right, I'm going to really work on patience. Pick one out of there. All right. To the neglect of the others that are in the list. Isn't it interesting? It's just always been so fascinating that Paul didn't say that the fruits, plural, of the Spirit are. I always have just found that interesting. That is, that is just a curiosity to me because what that means is just because you adopt patience doesn't mean you have fruit of the Spirit because it's all of them that make up one fruit. You have to adapt and gather and have all of those characteristics if you're going to be found fruitful to God. Not just one. Not just two. Or get real good, we got five. <laughs> you have to have all of them. And sometimes we can pat ourselves on the back and say, well, you know, I've got joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And I'm doing real great on all those. Now self-control, you know, Well, then you don't have it. Still a lot of work to be done. 
We need all the characteristics. And so we're, we're talking about a balanced growth that is necessary for us. I find it interesting as we, we conclude this morning, as we kind of kick off this series of lessons, I've always find it interesting how many times the scriptures talk about as Jesus and, uh, and a, a couple of others, like James, talk about how good trees can't bear bad fruit and bad trees can't bear good fruit. I've always found that principle interesting. Is you cannot fake out what you are by by the fruit, you you cannot plant a pear tree and get apples. It's just you know it's just not going to work. And you you can't go digging for potatoes and get bananas. It's just these this is the way things are. Is your fruit reflects who you are, and that's a really important principle as we conclude. Is that there's kind of this circle that that God describes for us. Is that if I'm going to be godly, if I'm going to be fruitful toward God. I'm going to have to change my character. And by changing my character, then I'm going to be godly in my actions. And it's a very interesting circle that happens. You are defined by what you do. We talked about, you know, I miss a few few weeks back. We have a great push in our society. Please don't define me by what I do. There's nothing else to define you by. <laughs> What else should I define you by? We are defined by our actions. That's all we're defined by. What we do reflects our character. If we want to have fruitful actions, fruitful conduct, I have to change the character. And we cannot have, be a good tree and bear bad fruit. You can't sit there and say, okay, well, I'm really a good person inside even though all of my actions are awful and my speech is ugly. It doesn't work. You can't be a good tree and bear bad fruit. It's not going to be possible. And often that's, I think, the way we want to justify ourselves. As, yeah, you know, I, I know my actions, but I, I, I'm good deep down inside. Oh, boy, I hear that so much on TV anymore. It just, it just dies, killing me. Yeah. What matters is what's deep down inside. Have you ever had that in a job interview? Is, that, is there a line on there that says, you know, what really matters is deep down inside. Please tell, explain to me what's deep down inside. <laughs> Your actions define what's inside. If our actions are ugly, then we're ugly. If our speech is nasty, then we're nasty. It's as simple as that. Fruitful lives reflect that we are godly people. If we are not bearing fruit... We are not godly. And that's what the scriptures are trying to tell us, as we did in John 15 in our very class. We're not abiding in Christ if we're not bearing fruit. If we do not look like him, then we're clearly mistaken in thinking that we're disciples of Jesus. And so I want you this week, if you will, to think about where you stand with God. Think about what are the things that need to be put off what are the things going to take off? What's the list of things that need to stop? And then as we're going to go through these lessons on fruitfulness, these are going to be the things that you can put into place. And so you can say, all right, here's the things in my list that I need to get rid of. i got these ugly things. You know, I, I want to get rid of them. So here's the things that you can do to become fruitful, to replace them with righteousness. And so let's think about, you know, if I lie, I'm a liar. 
I can't get out of that label. My actions reflect who I am. And I can't, can't avoid that. If I'm sexually immoral, then I'm a fornicator. I can't get away from that. I have to own up to my sins. I have to become responsible for what I've done. And then I can say before God, okay, these are the things I'm going to stop so that I can become fruitful in your service. Take your song books out. You're going to sing a song, and we are inviting you to be fruitful to God. And I hope you'll think about this morning and analyze your life, because only you can do that. I cannot stand up here and take the microscope out into your life and know what are the things that are good and what are the things that need changing. That is a responsibility that is placed upon you to examine yourself carefully and see if you are reflecting the glory of God. If your life looks like God's character, the things that are out of place, those are the things to put off. The old self, the old desires, decide today to set those things aside and work on replacing them with godly righteousness, with the character of God Himself. And we invite you, if you're ready to make a decision today, to turn away from sin, to make that commitment to God, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're ready to have your sins taken away, to have them washed away. We invite you to be immersed in the water for the forgiveness of your sins right now while we stand, while we say.